Hey everyone, and welcome back to Channel Talks. If you've been watching the station for uh, for a while, especially the last five episodes, uh, you'll notice a recurring theme that's happening, and it's around uh, servicing the channel organisations through ecosystems and the automation initiatives that are starting to come out. Today, I'm blessed actually to have the kind of conversation that we're going to have today uh, with an organisation that doesn't only talk about it, but in earnest has created something and something called the Channel Collective, which actually addresses that, that thing. How do all these ISVs and also uh, software as a service platforms come together and work together to give the channel something that it desperately needs right now, particularly in terms of uh, profitability, but also channel re relevance. So. Um, the Channel Collective was established around February 2019 um, by the founders and CEOs of several ISVs and also software as a service platforms that have all been uniquely designed to offer better and more contemporary revenue management strategies that are executing through these platforms to provide that level of competitive advantage uh, to uh, critical tasks, using critical tasks to provide competitive advantage. Uh, this uh, and this. Channel Collective Enterprise accelerates that collective ecosystem through the use of its tools and the use of its tools together, which is quite thrilling. It's Because it's known as the Channel Collective, I'm going to allow you all to introduce yourselves and introduce yourselves from the lens of what you do uniquely, but also um, how working together uh, in, the, in, in the group called the Channel Collective amplifies that ecosystem initiative and what you're doing for the channel. So I'll start with you, Peter. So I'm uh, Peter Olive. I'm the CEO of Vortex Six. We've been we founded 11 years ago, um, and, and our key area of expertise is around ensuring that the partners of major vendors are maximising, optimising all, all the vendor programs and reducing any risk. So that's primarily around the vendor partner programs and rebates and making sure that you have sufficient skills uh, to be able to deliver what you want to do. So it's all about automation, which is critical in the current environment. It's about reducing risk and op optimizing income through the vendor partner programs. Kenneth? Hi, it's uh, Kenneth Fox here. I'm CEO of Channel Mechanics. Um, and we provide a, our customers a channel enablement platform uh, primarily working with vendors to automate their partner program. That can be everything from a basic partner portal through to deal registration, MDF, incentive type programs, and, and so on. So we cover the entire ecosystem of, of their partner program. And the idea is we automate that, putting you know the partner experience front and center of, of what we do for the vendor, having ease of doing business through automation being you know critical as a differentiator for them in, in their go-to-market strategy knowing that you know partners have choices and the easier you make it for your vet or for your partners to work with you the better chance you have of, of winning their in customers and john this is john scott i'm the ceo and founder of scopestack so it's a software as a service platform built around making the pre-sales experience a little bit more efficient so talking about professional services pricing, sale creation, sale automation, and really bridging the gap between sales and post-sales in a more effective manner. Cool, Scotty. Uh, Chief Executive Officer of ISet.com, uh, we're the world's only uh, installed asset lifecycle management platform 
So we sit underneath a lot of what our uh, partners here do as far as physical products, cloud consumption, tracking everything that's going on down at that product level across the planet. So, gentlemen, why was the Channel Collective thought of and brought together and why are you four, why are your four organisations as a representation participating in such an enterprise? If you look at Jake McBain's um, profile of all the vendors that are there, there are hundreds of them. And uh, there are none of them that have an end-to-end solution. And through, through engagement in the industry, doing some research, it seemed that to, to provide that solution, you needed to collaborate with a number of organisations. And having worked with Scott and John and Kenneth, it seems that our organisations allow uh, channel partners and the the vendors to be able to do everything they need to do within our solutions. Uh, Some some, uh, customers would want all of it, some would want parts of it, or somebody, some may want one component. But it seemed to me that we needed to have a single place where organizations could go to be able to solve all of the problems that, that go from the start to the end of their pro, uh, processes. And uh, when Scott suggested this, it seemed like an obvious solution. So for me, it was all about enabling customers to go to one place and find which part of the solution or all of it that they wanted. And, uh, and Kenneth, what's your view on that? Yeah, much the same. You know, we're we're very complementary to each other, and the channel is a pretty big challenge for for vendors who you know sell indirectly. There's a lot of moving parts, and there is no single platform out there that that takes care of all of those you know vendor needs end to end, whether they sell through tier one or tier two. So coming together with with this team, you know, the concept of of Channels Collective got you know brought. You know, a tremendous idea on board, and I'm sure there's, there's there's definitely room for more. But you know, the concept, as as Forrester Gardner would say, of APIing to the top right corner. So as the cloud progresses, and more and more companies, you know, are providing solutions like like ours and and the team on here through the cloud, and having that API capability to easily integrate with each other starts to provide that that total solution, even though it's it's multiple solutions underneath the hood. So I think this team here and, and the solutions we all provide are very complementary to each other and can really enable the vendors to, to manage their entire channel ecosystem. And Scott, in conceiving all this, um, what have you seen uh, that has happened so far and what are you still waiting for? Uh, well, so far, there's been a couple of opportunities, um, specifically on Peter's side, where you know, because we've got all of this underlying asset base being tracked and Pete's got sort of MDF, uh, not MDF, uh, rebate type uh, information coming into his platform, we're now starting to get closer to Nirvana, which is actually interrupting the quote flow to make sure that the rep at the field is getting access to the proper information from the manufacturer rather than just quoting something that may not be the best possible uh, outcome for either them or the manufacturer. Um, so we're getting closer and closer to that Nirvana. The reason I originally reached out to the guys and put this together is to uh, Kenneth's point, you know, in Jay's world, he's got thousands of channel software companies up there, some good, some not so good. So what I was trying to do was get a quality team together and we'll add others that are complementary in our spaces 
to try and give um, some surety to our respective customers that they could reach out for the bits that they're missing that uh, we as individuals don't provide. So in terms of the individual collective, uh, what, are, what are your thoughts? And these are open questions to any of you. What, are there any you know, innovations or ISVs or, or software as a service providers that are missing uh, and should be in the collective that would make it more whole? Not in terms of name, you don't have to name them, but in terms of function, because we've got, you know, installed asset lifecycle management and, and we've got uh, market and marketing campaign automation and, uh, and, and, vendor, and, and vendor campaign uh, uh, automation. We've got, you know, a whole bunch of things going on here in just in this, in this audience, but what's missing? Uh, uh, can I take that one? I mean, sure. at the moment, I don't see anything that's missing, you know, that, that's a major issue for us. However, I thought about, I, I hadn't even thought about what John does. And when I got introduced to John and talking about professional services and how to optimise that, it became something that I hadn't been aware of, but was aware of, and therefore John came into the collective. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a question of... Um, maybe not being aware of what else might be needed. I'm not hearing anything from our partners, our customers. That's not to say there aren't things that can be done. So I would think that any, any organization that feels that they have a complementary service to us, not competitive, but complementary, should approach us to see um, whether or not that's something that would be good for us to do. Well, I'd say because we're, we're so focused at solving specific problems, I think there's a, a unique um, position that we take around the channel that says we have an earned secret, we've been in the industry, and that's where we get a majority of our good client conversations are around the authenticity of we've been in this space, we've had this problem too. Um, and so as I'm speaking to people, I'm thinking about, okay, do they... Do they do this? Do they do that? Have you talked to Vortex 6? Have you talked to iAsset, right? Um, and so I think it's a, a, to Peter's point, I think you're having conversations very closely aligned to, to a lot of this. And so if you can pick off um, things that would work well, this is, this is a great avenue to do that. Yeah, I have to agree, Scotty. Uh, look, I think the one thing that might be missing is the financial transaction part, because a lot of us are promoting automation to uh, increase uh, vendor profitability or distributor or reseller in some of our cases and reducing underlying costs. So there, there might be an opportunity out there for a, a payment solution that can handle channel dynamics, if you like, between all those different uh, players. Um, but again, you know, unless you come across some of these niche players, you don't necessarily know there's a problem just like you know, all of us have the same education piece to some people that don't know that they've got a problem with their particular part that we address. I have to agree. When I look at the, um, you know, the, the customers across the collective, it makes sense, you know, there are a lot of common customers, so that obviously is working. And if I look at um, the tools uh, that are used to automate a lot of critical functions, they all, you know, meet together. So I think what you guys are, sol are solving extremely well from a, from, from, a, from a commentator's point of view, is that horizontal integration across each other, where you all can work together and provide a much more fruitful solution so that whether you're a vendor, whether you're a distributor especially, um, or whether you're a service provider, 
a lot of the cost is taken out of prospecting and prospecting for, net, uh, for not only net new, but also uh, keeping the installed base, the, the, the keeping the relevance for a, a reseller or a service provider or a vendor inside that ultimate installed base for technology a lot more relevant. That's starting to look very, very obvious to me. And uh, there's something like the collective, you know, makes it even more obvious when I looked into or the channel collective makes it even more obvious. But what about from a vertical integration point of view? In other words, integrating what you all do into a vendor or into a distributor or into a uh, reseller, which starts to really make it an ecosystem. What, what, what are your challenges there? What are your successes there? And what are you finding is working working for you and what you wish was working for you? A whole bunch of questions. Any of you can answer all yeah. that. Yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll go first on that one if it's okay. So, yeah, you know, most, you know, whether it's one of us alone or the team working together, you know, I'll start with the, the single company goes first. You rarely get a greenfield site to start with anyway. So you're dealing with some level of integration with, with the customers or vendors that you work with. Um, so, you know, most companies say we would start working with, we'll have a, you know, a tech stack in place already and we have to integrate with that. <clears throat> Excuse me, and that's everything from you know single sign-on to potentially integration with their Salesforce or ERP systems, whatever it might be. But you know the nice thing about this team is we're all very current um, SaaS type providers, and we use that API methodology. So you know once one of the companies are in on the vertical, it's very easy to to go across the horizontal. So hopefully you know that makes sense from a technical perspective. That's not. That ain't the challenge. It used to be one time, if if you know what I mean. It you know the the SaaS or the the cloud-based model has really simplified how integration layers work compared to how it used to be five or six years ago. I mean, I, I can second that, right? And so we've um, Peter and I have actually worked together um, doing that same thing that that Scott just mentioned, which is um, Peter went first. He did all the hard work, and I just you know grabbed on those coattails um, after that. But you know. Uh, to, to Kenneth's point, though, like, you know, one, once that integration has been done once, it's very easy to replicate that across software. But the majority of conversations we have also around, it's not so much the technical part because that is getting a little bit easier. Um, it's around the business flow and, and how, how should it integrate and how should it be injected into an existing process, like Kenneth said, um, to make it meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, and to provide the right data, and so there's a lot of business-related discussions that are needing or that are being had yeah. right. um, outside of just the technical too. So it's it's not all easy, right? Yeah. And well, Nick, you you asked the question, what would we like to happen? Uh, I I think the greatest challenge um, is always awareness. And when I began my organisation and we developed our solution, a lot of partners used to say to us, we didn't know there was anything like that. And so we've now addressed that part of our market. But I think, um, you know, vendors and distributors and even partners themselves creating greater awareness of what this collective can do for them is probably one of the key things we have to work on. Right. So in my, in my world, if you know, utopia would be that everybody's aware of what, what can be done um, right. and that they're not going on doing what they've always done in the past, which can be inefficient, risky, and not, not as profitable as they could be. So it's, it is awareness. So you all tend to be agreeing, so I'm gonna throw, throw it a little bit different to you, Scott. What do you think 
the vendors and the resellers and the service providers need to know right now about this collective? What's the one thing? What's the one thing that they're going to say, man, I've got to do this. I've got to talk to one or all of these people. So I think um, to my earlier point, Nick, this is all about picking best of breed in, in each particular space and having a level of trust that, you know, our customers can trust that we've selected carefully the other gentlemen that are on the uh, call uh, so that they can step into their respective uh, platforms and feel that they'll get an outcome just as good as I asset, but in different parts of their business. I think the challenge back to the educational piece is that, um, and I'd love to hear from the other guys and what they think, is we're always up against IT can build it themselves. They rarely ever do and it's it just, it's cost prohibitive and they're 12 years behind the stack already. So, you know, I think the bigger challenge is getting the business to run IT rather than a lot of the, especially US vendors, we see IT trying to run the business. Yeah, that's a really important point. And I'll, I'll give you all some feedback, um, you know, because I sat on so many vendor advisory councils, you know, over the last, you know, 20 years, but especially over the last 10 years, they were global. They were all global, um, not only for vendors, but also for other distributor councils and things like that. Um, the one thing that, 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 that everyone thought they could do with a, a lot of the stuff that the collective does is build their own, all right? And everyone who's tried has failed. Every so don't worry about it. If, uh, uh, seriously, don't worry about it. They have. There's not one successful version of it, uh, except for ones that were built out of it. Like iasset.com, for example, was built out of distribution, and went on to do it globally because it was the only way that was going to amplify what it does by working with everyone rather than a singular. All right, and that makes sense. Um, so we've seen, you know, companies do that. We've seen vendors try to do it and fail, um, and we've also seen. Um, some, so we're now seeing service providers, of all people, you know, uh, you know, talking to service providers saying, well, this is all a great idea, what you all are doing, but we can do it ourselves and build, build our own because we need a unique platform. Well, hey, genius, that's the whole point of this. They're building a unique platform and you'll never be able to keep up with what these guys are doing because they're doing it for everyone all over the world. You're doing it for yourself in a silo. There's no competitive advantage here. My, my point is this. Don't worry about the build your own thing because everyone who has done it or will do it, forget it. They're gone. They'll fuck. They will fail. I know I'm being quite aggro about it, but it's just so stupid. It insults the intelligence of anyone <laughs> when they start to think about that. It is just dumb, all right? And I can't – but I'll get back to that later because we'll have some fun with it. But the other, the other part is you're starting to think that you're building your own, all right? What are, you, what are you building? You're building something to solve just your problem. What if you've got problems you don't even know you have? And a platform which is designed based on best practice for everyone will identify a whole heap of problems that you're mm. going to solve. All right? That's, that's the big thing. Am I right? Am I wrong? I mean, you're all going to say I'm right. Of course, you'd be crazy <laughs> not to. You, you, you'll, you'll be crazy not to. But how much of that is becoming less of a challenge for you guys or is it becoming more of a challenge for you guys? I've got to say, I've just had a, um, an example where um, the business unit um, sent out a tender which was specific around what we do. And the problem was it went to purchasing and purchasing then we're making the decision. And the, the issue 
in that case was firstly, they didn't actually understand what the business problem was that we were solving. And when they do a cost comparison, they don't do a pure cost comparison, taking into account everything that matters. So be that their own employee costs they've got to do, the cost of the maintenance of trying to do something that somebody else would do if you were using a vendor like us. Um, and with a, with, in this case, they were talking about a ground up build. Well, we've spent 11 years building our solution as an example. Um, what makes them think that in a short period of time of six months, they're gonna be able to replicate what we've done. So I think, um, you know, it's, in the old days, IT used to rule everything and purchasing used to rule everything. And I still think there's elements of that. But to me, the biggest thing I would like to see is that the business unit um, demands what they want. It's the business that needs the solution and the business has to do the cost justification, but it needs to be all encompassing and not just looking isolated parts of costs. Right. And yeah. The isolated part of the cost is what your proposal is. And they don't look at the, the 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 alternative costs of doing it themselves in some other way. Peter says it really well there. You know, it's been, it takes us years to build these platforms, and then you constantly bump into, you know, somebody internally says, "Well, I can do that." So you're you're fairly far down the road with a potential customer, and then sure enough, somebody from operations or IT's head comes above the pulpit and say, "That's easy. I'll do that," mm. but. You know they never do to your point Nick. they never do they never will but that doesn't mean you don't get to progress that opportunity um i don't think that challenge it's certainly not as difficult as it used to be a few years back when you know it were probably stronger than 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 they are now i think business the business are becoming more of the buyers and there's lots of you know data out there i think it used to be 80 20 now it's 2080 um in, in favor of the business but it's it's certainly in our world that's still a very big challenge the status quo going to it to build these solutions they never can build them they never will but you have to convince the you know your your customer prospect that that is the case and it's not just building the technology it, it's the know-how it's understanding the channel you know the the people in in these organizations you know they're really good people make no mistake about it these are very capable people in it but they're more focused always on corporate type projects on direct business as opposed to indirect business that's what they're good at doing they're absolutely good people no criticism of them at all but on the other side they definitely do not understand how the channel and indirect selling works and it's not just our solutions we're bringing to the table it's that you know, 20 odd years of know-how, having done this, understanding it inside out, top to bottom. And as you move out to the tier two channel through distribution, as this team knows, it even gets more complex. And it's bringing that know-how is really important uh, point of, of what this team brings to the table. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point, Kenneth, because we've, we've become a services-led business. And the services is actually the expertise we have in our people. And it's supported by the software so you, you know you're not we're not just handing over a piece of software and letting them get on with it but we're giving consultancy and advice as part of the solution um and and not necessarily to additional costs but it's part it's using the expertise that we've used to build our solution in helping them to understand the programs and that level of um support and knowledge is often overlooked by by, by customers and we one thing we are seeing is more as the uh, economic situation is getting more difficult, customers are looking to 
reduce costs, you know, and one way of doing that is not only through automation, but, but by uh, automating with an organization that's got the expertise behind them that normally they would employ themselves. And there's a, there's a significant advantage, cost advantage in doing that. Yeah, it's absolutely a fraction of the cost of doing it internally. And I often hear the argument, but if we build it, we'll have it, then we don't need to pay you every year. But it's like anything, if you build any piece of software, you're still going to pay for maintenance. Stop. Well, yeah, yeah, it just doesn't stop, yeah. right? You have to maintain it, you have to up issue it. Why bother taking that on board when there's, you know, service providers or software as a service providers like us guys yeah. that continue to evolve our platform and meet the needs of the channel as the channel evolves. So you don't need to worry about that. I hate to be brutal, but I think if we're, if any of us in this domain are talking to someone who has that answer, we're talking to the wrong person. We really are talking to the wrong person because it's just a nonsense to even think that that's, that that's something that that's a, com, a commercially viable outcome is to do that for lots of reasons, for lots of reasons. And you guys have put it very eloquently. Um, uh, John or Scott, do you want to add to that um, anti-nonsense? After you, John. Yeah, yeah. So I have a lot to say there, but I'll just keep it brief. Um, <laughs> You know, I think if we are doing it right, there, there are two things. So we, we think in terms of software providers of global scale, right? I think the problem with doing it internally is they think of internal scale and the size of their organization. So the benefit of it is that we can, we have to look at it as if anyone anywhere in the world would get on our platform, right? And then I think number two for that is if we're doing it right, the ease of adopting our platform and getting onto it and using it is, is critical in that nature, right? And I, and I think the easier we make that, the less and less we'll hear the argument of we'll just do it ourselves because we just made it so easy for you to do it, right? And solve that problem, I think is very important. Yeah, uh, Scott, any? Uh, look, I think, I think for a large part, to, to Kenneth's point, the whole business is driven by Wall Street ultimately and Wall Street's interested in net new sales and there's a lot of focus on that and it's direct and we've got to get the big accounts and they don't think in terms of the channel implications across the world from Thailand to Vietnam to France to Germany, uh, you know, it's all very much US focused. And I think where these platforms help them is we've all got international exposure and it will also actually help. <laughs> it will help them in all of their different uh, markets instantly. I mean, you know, you think about the, the grey hair that Peter's obviously got more than the rest of us, but we've been all over the place. We know most of the markets as in terms of channel uh, connections and how the US vendors need to work. So they, it is that consultancy that, that Peter alluded to, it's that expertise it goes with the platforms because when we go into a new customer, um, we're giving them the expertise of 12 years of cutting our teeth on all sorts of different markets, all sorts of different products, even outside of IT and healthcare and mining and things like that. So you're bringing best of breed in on top of the platforms that we're delivering, which is, I think, is the game changer. And, you know, when, when I get the IT pushback, which is we can build it ourselves, I say, well, did you build your ERP system or your CRM system yourself? Why would you do that? If I understand the idea of building your own if it doesn't exist and you realise that you have an innovation that needs to be executed and it can only be executed by building your own. All right, That makes a lot of sense. It doesn't exist. And that's competitive advantage. 
But competitive advantage is what you do with what you build, not necessarily what you build. Someone else builds best of the breed so you can actually do something with that technology. You can get competitive advantage based on how you use your ERP system or your CRM. A perfect example is using your software, all of you, to sit, on, to sit in there and getting competitive advantage by having a strategy behind it that executes on it rather than just having it. So investing that money in an in a, in a, in a innovation that executes well based on the technology you're providing them is where the return on that investment comes. The challenges we would often face is the data challenges. So it's actually moving the data back and over, you know, or the quality of the data that some of these vendors have is, uh, is, is not what it needs to be. So that, I would say now, has become more of a challenge than the actual integration piece. Okay, and I would I would say, Kenneth, that um, one of the greatest challenges that's emerged in the last eighteen months is data privacy, like GDPR, where just getting hold of even internal data can be a really prolonged exercise. Um, and I think that uh, you know that that's that's a that's a problem. Um, GDPR was never designed to be the way it's being implemented, and that's providing more difficult uh, aspects to deal with rather than systems integration through APIs it's it's easy so to me it's 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 the acquisition of the data so I completely agree with Kenneth um, and I think it's then it's it's being creative with what you can do with that data through integrating in different systems um, you know that the, the there is always an argument that says you don't you don't necessarily charge for your front-end facing platform but you charge for access to the data it holds, and that's the key issue. The, most of the uh, customers that we sign on to originally initially get into a panic about data cleansing, and we've got to cleanse all the data before we load it into the platform or it's not going to be worth anything. In actual fact, by the time they cleanse all of their data, it's already started to go off because it's taken them months to get to that point. We're, all, we're very much an advocate of just throw in all of the rubbish and cleanse as you go, and you'll get the platforms to do that for you over time. And, and to Nick's, you know, one of Nick's uh, big points is the data that, for instance, we collect to try and give manufacturers, distributors, and service providers a better view of the opportunities that are inside that install base and renewals and end of life is we are taking data from systems that weren't designed to collect that sort of data but we get a bit from ERP, we get a bit from CRM, we get a bit from you know the support desk, we might get a bit from John, a bit from Pete, a bit from Kenneth, and then mash it all together so that you've got the warts and all, but there's a good chance you've got the diamonds inside the warts and then you can you know move forward on that. I don't think that um, you know if we waited for great data from any of our customers or any of the prospects that have signed on, especially over the last six months during COVID, we'd still be sitting here waiting. It's, it's a matter of, you know, if people are watching this, it's a matter of getting engaged and doing it because nothing's going to be fixed if you wait. You've got to actually engage and move forward. And that's the biggest problem, the excuse of COVID. Oh, well, for us, it's been fantastic. We've been signing people left, right and centre because as they're reducing workforce, they need to be more efficient. So automation is the only outcome for that. A lot of our companies 
have so many different automated ways now of dealing with data, why would any vendor try and figure all that out for themselves when mm. we just provide it as a service? And their time to market is so much shorter by leveraging these services. And let's be realistic, these are low-cost services compared to trying to do this stuff yourself. It's just yeah. there is no comparison in the pricing if, if somebody yeah. stacks it up correctly. Uh, that's yeah. a big point, and also particularly when you're using, you know, what a vendor has done to be able to sell professional services as well on top of that, and contracts and make and anything that's got to do with a service on it. And the conversations that I have with vendors uh, all come back to the fact that they think that their data is no good. And what I tell them, what Scott was alluding to, was there's no such thing as bad data. It was just organised in a different way because it was it was collected for a different purpose. So if you had a structure that basically said, we don't care, just throw the data here and then it gets spat in ways it needs to, you know, for, through an API or whatever, back into your platforms, organised the right way, so it can be monetized rather than considered yeah. really bad. It's actually getting monetized for a particular purpose. And you all have different purposes. And that same data gets monetized at least five ways here. Um, but also at the same time, a way to be able to make 5x the money on what you've already sold through all the things you guys are doing is just obvious to me and it just needs a whole bunch of clever guys that you've all got put, coming together and coming up with that answer to an IT guy that says, no, that's easy. You know, so when they say, you know, the integration and the, the data side and the GDPR side, all those things, no, that's easy because it is easy because it's if you put your data somewhere, it's your data. No one else needs to see it. And it gets reorganized in a way that it can be monetized five other ways that you've never even thought of and you're going to make more money. Well, no one's going to, you know, no one ever got fired for buying that. Right. Yeah. So to your, to your point, Nick, um, as it covers a lot of what we've spoken about today. We, we, we implemented a, an ROI model. Um, and at the start of the implementation, we go through with the, with the customer a whole series of questions and measurements and we, we identify where the opportunities for the ROI are, we agree what it is, and then we guarantee it. So we, we say that if you do not get that ROI, you can have your money back because yep. we know that we can do it. And what that process does is to actually educate them in some ways of areas they hadn't thought about that's costing them money and will yep. continue to cost them money unless they do something. You know, we'll be, we basically went to... Uh, two different pricing models. The two different pricing models are per user or consumption. If you're talking to the uh, financial controller or the financial side of the business, they want per user because they want to fix their prices. If you talk to the business, they only want to get a bill if the engine does what it's supposed to do. So, you, you know, you end up with both of these models uh, or ROI is another great model, but it just depends who in the business you're talking to as to whether they'll take the risk because ROI and consumption have potentially got an unlimited runway, even though they're making more money, they still, some of them can't get their heads around it. Yeah. I think yeah, that's, that. that's critically important too, because we, it, it sounds like we all scale with the business as opposed to trying yeah. to be an automatic burden on the business. Right. And I, and I think that's traditional, traditional SaaS is you just need to pay, pay me my money and I don't really care what the result is. Yeah. Um, I think everything we're saying here is you're all paying money. Right. Yeah, yeah, pay us our money, but we will actually work with you. And, and and again, back to like the whole, we've we've been there, we've done this. There's years of experience in our software platforms that is um, not not widely seen. That's yeah. It. yeah.
Yeah, no, I agree. But uh, the point, and I think it's one that needs to be talked about a lot more, is the common, the common, you know, pricing model, the common consumption model, billing model, whatever it is, across multiple ISV or software as a service platforms for the channel, because they only want to be, if they only want to be dealing with one entity. Um, and, and that entities themselves and they fail in doing that, then they want to do with multiple entities that all work the same way. And I think the whole purpose of the ecosystem is to do that. And the whole purpose of a collective is to do that. Uh, guys, this has been awesome. It's actually been fantastic. And we're going to, uh, I know we're going to get a lot of great uh, commentary uh, and also some dialogue from that. And there will be points that we've touched that our audience is going to, and our viewers, which is vendors, resellers, integrators, and distributors are going to want to dive into more. So I will invite you all back for those kinds of conversations and even one-on-ones, you know, because some some of what you've got, uh, what, what you guys have said, I really want to dig into a little bit deeper. Um, so we will be doing that as we go forward um, for the channel. But is there anything you want to leave? I mean, all right, but rather than doing the boring thing, I'm going to put it back on you guys again. I'm just in that mood today. All right, so collectively, all right, the channel collective, I'm a, let's, all right, I'm a vendor. I'm a vendor and I sell something, all right? Pitch it to me. So as a, as a technology vendor, when you do, when you're startup mode or when you get larger, you're there to build that widget. Whatever that widget is, you build the best widget. Typically, they throw an Oracle or an SAP at the back and a team of people to keep it alive because they're big, ugly systems that you need to keep alive. And then you'll get back to building that widget. What all of us do is help you make sure that widget gets sold properly, supported properly, the channel gets driven the right way, we automate the professional services component. All of those pieces you don't want to worry about because you want to focus on building that widget and selling more of the widgets. So all of us as underlying uh, business support organisation platforms, whatever, are there to help you take that extra step in all sorts of different meaningful ways. There's my pitch. You know, there's not a vendor in the world that's doing that and there's not a vendor in the world that absolutely needs that. So I'm, mm. I'm, so far I'm impressed. <laughs> I'll buy it, Scott. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. So far I'm I'll get my order book out. <laughs> Does someone want to take on the, and this is how you integrate it in seconds? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's the level of automation it brings to the channel. Like, you know, that complete level of automation end to end that really provides, you know, the vendors or the distributors that that the data and insight they need to see how the channel is performing. Mm-hmm. Let's not underestimate it is difficult to see when you move out to a tier one or a tier two world. You're not direct selling anymore. You're indirect selling. To understand the performance of your business in the channel can be quite challenging. And this team, you know, with their set of tools brings that level of data and insights to the table so vendors can truly understand how their channel is performing. And I think from our standpoint, driving driving standards around service delivery for that widget that you just created is critically important as well, simply because no one has seen your widget before, right? So if you can make it easy for them to not only sell it, but implement it, um, and I think you're ahead of the curve, um, you're definitely ahead of the other uh, vendors that are out there today. Yeah. For sure. And I think from the partner's perspective, it's how you're going to execute on what that vendor's putting in place to the full advantage of your organisation. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I'm listening to you guys now. How much of this is so obvious? 
And is it because, you know, I've spent my whole life in the channel. It's just, you know, but haven't most of these people that we're talking to spent most of their life in the channel? Um, I really do believe that what you guys are doing collectively and also individually, um, you're, you know, at that early adopter stage and you're just about to, you know, cross into that early majority and then it just blows, right? And when it does, you know, everyone's going to be, be, be wanting to be part of what you guys are doing. Gents, thanks so much. Incredible insights. Big gems there. Really uh, appreciate you coming onto the onto the channel. Thank you, and we'll uh, talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. guys.